0: Okay, now we're going to talk about resolving conflict. <clears throat> Sometimes waffles and spaghetti cause indigestion. <laughs> and what's the answer for indigestion in marriage? Roll AIDS. We got to have some AIDS, some things that we need to, to begin to, to work, tools that we work within our marriages. Um, Maybe you've heard that saying, you know, I I always knew I married Miss Wright. I just didn't know that her first name was always. (laughs) Sometimes we we face those things that we are going to struggle in. When we do, remember some of the things we've talked about. Please do not impute ill will to one another. Most of the arguments and disagreements and, and fighting that occurs within marriage... Is because one or the other assumes someone did something on purpose to make them mad, to get them. I know that happens after the fight begins. But before the fight starts, probably whatever has upset you or frustrated you was, was someone doing or saying something that maybe wasn't right. But their intent was not to, to hurt or destroy or to, or to maim. So we want to have that idea. I'm not going to impute ill will. And then I also need to recognize, as we're working our way through it, we are not the same. It's okay. It's not right or wrong. It's just different. We're going to come at things and deal with problems and issues from two different ways. And we want to do it in such a way that's going to bring honor and glory to the Lord. Philippians 4.8 says, Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just... Whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue, if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. That's a command that Paul lays out for us in the book of Philippians. It's not a suggestion. This is where our minds should be focused. Most of the time when we're dealing with indigestion in our marriages, we are starting to meditate on all the things that annoy us. We're going to meditate on all the big things, all the little things. Our blood begins to boil. We begin to get frustrated. We begin to say things in our mind. You know, get, get crazy, irrational thoughts. Depending on your personality, you're going to, it just things begin to run away. Last night we got home from, uh, actually we we're setting up here. We got home and there was no fire and no wood around the fireplace and no wood chopped. Uh, in the in the In our little storage area in the garage where it 's dry, which is my nineteen uh, year old 's job my nineteen year old in order to live with me <laughs> and be fed and occasionally get gas in his truck so he can get to school, has certain things that he 's required to do. These are his jobs and uh, to be honest, I was just tired of uh, nagging him about it, so I got home and I start going out and chopping some wood and getting kindling ready and getting all the stuff ready to have a fire. But while I'm doing it, I'm every time I bring that that splitting mall down on that log, I'm not thinking, you know, Cole's a really good kid. <laughs> I'm thinking about, nah, and I, I'm going in that room and you kick that door open and I'm going to, throw his xbox out the window and drive over it with the truck and then i'm gonna tell him you know what you need to go find a school you go live at school go move into school go sit at school and do nothing you don't need to say all these things going on in my head and uh i don't know if kathy talked to him or or not but i'm out there splitting up the kindling and cole comes walking out the garage <laughs> and, and to be honest it it probably saved his life he come walking out I didn't say anything I didn't say anything to him he just came out quiet and, and started helping me pick up the wood and take care of things and I was reminded in that moment of the things that I really do love about my son and that's how quick it can flip from being ready to choke him to death to yeah you know he's all right think i'll let him live another day
1: so glad i saved Cole's life last night well
0: but the thing is when we are obedient to god's word and it says meditate on the pure and the lovely and the good things it doesn't mean don't deal with the negative right it says don't meditate on it if i sit out there and all i do is meditate on what i'm upset about (laughs) do i get better or worse? worse i get worse i get more upset more frustrated and and less able, actually, that the more angry you get, your intelligence dwindles with your anger. As your anger rises, your intelligence drops. Your ability to, to make an argument, your ability to, to, to make sense. You go into the things within you, your personality, that become natural. That's why some guys, they can't even talk, they get so mad, they're just going to break that end table. They're going to punch the door. They're going to... They're going to do whatever. They're going to explode outward because they've allowed that frustration and anger to grow. So when we consider the indigestion in marriage, we don't want it to get to that point. So how do we do it? We meditate on the pure and the lovely. That which is of good report and good reproach. That we're focused on those positive things and we don't want to have or develop stinking thinking where that's all we focus on. I don't mean don't deal with it. There are things we've got to deal with. But I'm not going to sit and chew on it. And, and a lot of times, this is one of the areas that, in the differences between men and women, that men are better equipped to deal with that. Men are better equipped to say, I'm going to put that in a box and we'll deal with it later. And then he can actually turn that switch off. My wife can't turn that switch off. She's going to stay on that. And I'm thankful in the beginning of our marriage that that was one of the gifts that God gave Kathy. She would not, we, we, we would never let the sun go down on an issue. If we had an issue, if it meant I stayed up till 3 in the morning and I had to go to work at 4, we stayed up and we got it done and we went to bed right and woke up and the next day was a lot better day with one hour of sleep than it would have been if I'd have had all the sleep and woke up and, and mama's not happy and we're not okay. Because let's face it, when we're not okay, nothing's okay. Everything starts to fall apart from that point. So we want to stay focused on the pure and lovely. And when we have issue, we got to deal with that issue. I'm going to give you guys the most important thing you can take from this in regard to fighting. I would suggest not fighting, but if you must fight, Fight naked. I'm just letting you know. Well, don't fight in public, anyways. Yeah. (laughs) If you're running, if I see you guys in Ridley's naked, I'm gonna know you're fighting in public. Um. Uh, it's a joke that, that Kathy and I have for a long time. Somebody gave us marriage advice, and they said, Hey, you want to have a happy marriage? Whenever you fight, fight naked. It changes everything. I, I promise. I promise. Uh, the ability to stay focused on the pure and lovely is much easier in that situation. However, when that's not possible... We're going to talk about how to deal with it in a biblical way, <laughs> how to allow God's word to guide us when we focus on those things. We
1: well, just don't know where to go with that. I, no, I'm, I'm like, yeah, no. Um, one of the things, so we're going to, you want to go into starting with be truthful?
0: Yeah, I got you, babe. You want me to go?
1: I, I just didn't know where you wanted me to go. There. That
0: fighting naked mm-hmm. make you nervous?
1: Yeah. <laughs> this is, I'm always a little nervous about the, the, when we Second talk, session. Yeah, the second, or the, in today's second session. So, yeah, with that. She might no. have to
0: turn that thing back on in a little while.
1: Uh, <laughs> we're going to,
0: we're going <clears> to <throat> pull all of these okay. lessons for us in dealing with conflict between uh, couples and in marriage out of Ephesians chapter four. So um, all our references will be out of Ephesians chapter 4, beginning at about verse 25. And we just try to allow the Word of God to guide us and direct us. God didn't give us His Word. He didn't give us the, the directions in terms of, of how we are to, to behave with one another in marriage and those needs for us to decide whether or not we want to do those things. He gave them to, them, he gave them to us so that we would use them to to be a guide, to direct us. So, when we deal with having a disagreement, and if you're unwilling to fight naked, you are going to have a biblical fight. Step number one, we want to be truthful with one another. Be truthful with one another. From Ephesians 4.25. Ephesians 4.25 says, Therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. You know, when we talk about being truthful, we talk about having an attitude of truth, there's two mistakes people can make. One, maybe some of you guys have heard this. Honey, what's wrong? Nothing. Now, let me me just flip it for a moment. If a man asks a woman, honey, what's wrong? It's obvious something's wrong. He didn't just pull that out of his back pocket. He's like, something isn't right. So we want to be truthful. If there's something going on, if you're upset, if you're frustrated, if there's an issue, then we want to be truthful about it. But on the other side of that, we want to not just react, but take time to assess what is my problem. Let me give you an example. I I come to I, I go to work, and at work I, I have an altercation with one of the guys I work with, and then later on my Boss gets on my case, and on the way home, I get pulled over, and I get a ticket. And then I get home, and as I'm walking through the front door, to there's the dog. I trip over the dog, and and, and, and the, the kids, as I pass by the kids' room, kids' room's all messy. So I stick my head in the kids' room, and I holler at the kids, get this room cleaned up. And about that time, I turn around, I see Kathy, and I start complaining about the way the house looks. And she says to me, honey, what's the matter? What's wrong? I need to really think about what my issue is. Is my issue that the kids' room's dirty? Is my issue that the dog was in the house? Is my issue that the house isn't clean? My issue is I had a lousy day and I just carried it home on my back. And I'm about to pitch it all over my house. Which, by the way, doesn't usually improve the day. So I want to stop and really think about it when, when my wife... When we begin to talk about things and she says, what's wrong? I want to think about what's wrong. You know what? I'm just really tired. You know, sometimes we get cranky. Does that happen to anybody? I get cranky. I I get cranky when I'm tired. I get cranky when I'm hungry. I get cranky when I'm hungry. I get... I I would say I get cranky when I don't have a monster, but since I come to Idaho, I have more monster than any other time I ever had. So we have... All of these things, we want to say, what's really going on? Am I hungry? Am I tired? I'm I'm angry. What I'm doing is I'm channeling my anger at my day at my wife, and she doesn't deserve that. And she can receive that if I can verbalize that. If I can say to her, you know what, honey, I'm sorry. I had a really bad day today, and I, I don't mean to take it out on you. Now, that totally changes her attitude toward me. As opposed to me coming in and just getting on her case. And then she gets on my case. And we're ready. We're primed, right? We're primed to to have some type of an explosion that we don't want to have. So, first thing is we want to be truthful. We want to share the truth in love, Ephesians tells us. We want to say, hey, this is what's going on inside of me. And if there's a problem, if there's an issue, I want to... Tell or, or speak about what that issue is. But then we have the second thing. The second thing that Ephesians 4 tells us. Is there be no low blows. No low blows. Ephesians 4.26 says be angry and do not sin. Scripture lays out for us that being angry is not a sin. Losing self-control is. I can be angry about something. But as soon as I lose it. Now I am letting the old man run rampant with me. So we say, I'm going to speak the truth in love, and I can be angry, but I cannot lose my self-control. So i got to be able to express what's going on with me. i got to be able to express what I want to talk about, and this is how I'm going to do it. I'm going to focus on the problem and not on the person. For me, I'm, I'm more of a visual at least in this realm of my life, and I like to visualize the problems that Kathy and I have uh, outside of us. So that means I like to come beside her, put my arm around her, and make sure that the problem doesn't get in the middle, but the problem stays out here. And so when I've got an issue, i got a problem, i got a conflict, something I'm frustrated about, I can be angry, it's not a problem, but I can't lose my self-control, I can't say things that I shouldn't say, do things that I shouldn't do, and I want to stay focused on, on the problem. As soon as I make the problem my wife, or as soon as I make the problem my husband, how do you solve that? Yeah, you, now you've taken the problem and you made it personal. Now you're fighting. But when I make the problem the problem, the problem is, you, you, I left my clothes on the floor. Say Kathy's upset. I left my clothes on the floor. If she starts to face that problem by saying, my problem is you're a slob, I don't know what to do with that, and I'm going to react. But if she says, she keeps the problem outside, said so the problem is the clothes on the floor. Now, as a man, I'm a fixer. If you tell me the problem is clothes on the floor, I'm not stupid. I can solve that problem. <laughs> right? It's not hard to solve. It's, but as soon as you make the problem me, my personality, who I am, oh, buh, buh, I can't fix that. I can't fix me. My mom and dad screwed me up and this is how I am. That's just how it is. So, but I can fix the problem. We want to stay focused on the problem. So when we say no low blows, that means no fighting dirty, no calling each other names, no saying anything about one another, but stay focused on what the issue is. And keep the issue impersonal. It's not a, a problem of someone's personality, what they do, it's got to be a thing, the thing. What's the thing? What's the thing? I need you to, I, I need to ha- spend more time with you. That's a, a solution that can be solved. If you say, you don't love me, I don't know how to solve that solution. I don't know how to solve it. So we want to keep a focus on a problem, keep our attention on the problem, and not on the person. And the next one, as that, as that verse continues, brings us to the third point, that's, always resolve the conflict it goes on to say be angry and do not sin and do not let the sun go down on your wrath nor give place to the devil we want to always always in the Greek means always resolve the issue before you go to bed Mm -hmm. oh but Jackie I gotta get up early and I just don't want to deal with this listen You stood up before God and said, me and this woman, from now till eternity, till death do us part. I didn't make you say it. You said it. I expect you to fulfill your promise. And part of your promise is to say, you know what? Sometimes I have to go without sleep. Sometimes I got to stay up. Sometimes I got to work it out. And ultimately, it's always better when we do.
1: One of the things that I used to do a lot was um, we would be busy, or the kids, and all these things going on in our evenings, and then finally when Jackie and I'd get in bed, where it was quiet, and I had his undivided attention, then I would start one of these little, you know, confrontational... Yeah, we need to, to fix that commu- right now, ladies. Yeah. So...
0: <laughs> the bed is what shape?
1: It's a box.
0: And so who does it belong to? ha. <laughs> I'll give you guys a great clue on, on how to communicate with your husbands. Don't do it in bed. Bed is for two things. They both start with S. Bingo, Ringo. <laughs> Sex and sleep. No, not folding laundry. You can do that on a couch. Stay off my bed with the laundry. The the idea is, and what happens is, got, ladies, just so you can give you a little insight into a man's brain. Once he walked out through the house, down the hallway, into the bedroom, he has closed every box. He's not willing to really open any of them, except the sex box. And he might be thinking, even as he climbs into bed, I might get lucky tonight. <laughs> And as he climbs into bed and he has these thoughts, if the next thing you say is, you know, honey, now that I have you here, I I just really like to talk. He's like, the the eyes go in his head. (laughs) What? You're kidding. Here's what Kathy and I did. It really helped us out. We made sure that we took care of all that before we got to the bedroom. If there was something that was on Kathy's heart, if she needed to talk to me, she at one time she thought, well, I finally got him nailed down. He's not going anywhere. <laughs> but when we would set and, and do it at the couch, when we would talk at the table, when we would deal, I was way more focused on, on what she needed to talk to me about, and I wasn't irritated. And then when we went to bed, she was primed. She was ready. <laughs>
1: So, <laughs> I knew it was gonna, This is the part where I spend the whole session red-faced. Um, the the thing that you, I think you're trying to say is, <laughs> is that uh, when it was pretty when, clear to me <laughs> <laughs> when when that communication is met in us gals. We are so needy for that communication in the evening when we get into bed and we've never, we've been denied that communication maybe throughout the day. And then we need that face-to-face communication time. That's part of our way of kind of disengaging our day. And so if it's met earlier in the day, then it goes the way you speak.
0: So guys, motivation? I don't know, take it for, for what you want, but if you'll listen to Jackie. <laughs> and make sure that you talk to your wives and, and invest in them and recognize that this is all, this all pays off in a couple hours when we go to bed. And she's thinking, she's very happy about how attentive I've been and how kind and how loving, right? Isn't that thinking about
1: yourself? It's good. Isn't that thinking about yourself?
0: <laughs> Sex is good, sister. Isn't it?
1: <laughs> ah, you're going you're gonna to end up red-faced like me. I don't know.
0: <laughs> but uh, I understand what you're saying. I understand what you're saying. And what we want to do, all, all joking aside, again, I wanna, If the, the reality is if I will die to myself and pour that into my wife, pour, meet that need within her, then she is more open to meeting those needs for me. It works both ways. And what we need to do, truly, is i got to stay focused on me. If I meet that need with Kathy, she'll meet that need with me. It goes both ways. And if I stay focused on, again, meeting that, making sure I meet that expectation, then it all is going to flow a lot nicer.
1: So anyways.
0: So one of the things, (laughs) see, it's, have you read the rest of the notes? Yeah, I know. You're in trouble, sister. So... (laughs) One of the things Kathy was really gifted at in our marriage was making sure we wouldn't go to bed angry. I and most men are able to just put it in a box and forget about it. But my wife can't forget about it. And it's unloving for me to expect her to. It's more loving for me to say, you know what? We need to to deal with it and and get it over with. Solve the problem. Focus on it. Find a solution. Move forward. And... And enjoy the rest of our marriage instead of going, letting one day become two days. Mm -hmm. Two days become three days. You're so far outside of God's plan for your life when you do that. God said not to let the sun go down. That before that sun goes down that night, you got to make peace. You got to make it okay.
1: We've seen a lot of people um, get so far. It's almost like there's a wound. And instead of letting it heal and suture up nicely and have a little tiny, you know, Maybe not even a scar at all. It's like they, you just don't quite take care of it, and it becomes this really horrible hardened scars. Yeah. yeah, it's just it's if you let it things go, and we've seen this happen in people we care about very much, where it just becomes nobody cares anymore. They're just callous, and so that's why it's so good to resolve the conflict. That Before you go to bed, well, don't let it fester because it, it really can become like scarred tissue, scarred tissue.
0: And who doesn't like making up after that? If you don't like it, raise your hand because there's more help for you somewhere. <laughs> so we want to we make peace, make nice. The next one as we continue in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 28. It speaks to us about being part of the solution, okay? If I'm the one with the problem, I am the one with the solution, or at least part of the solution. Ephesians 4.28 says, Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has a need. Let him who has the problem of stealing Rather than stealing, learn to work with his own hands to make something to give to someone who has a need. We need to become part of the solution. If I've got a problem, I've got to be part of the solution. So, when I take issue with my spouse and I come to her with a problem, I also need to come to her with a solution. Kathy had a real simple way of doing this in daycare. It was, this is what I'm upset about and this is what I'd like you to do about it. So we stay focused on the problem, we stay off of the person, and we present a viable solution, a viable solution. Now that says in our communication, in dealing with the problem, what that says is, I'm not here to fight, I'm here to solve. So here's what's wrong, and here's what I think is a possible solution. Now that opens up the opportunity for me to say, that's a solution I can live with, babe. Okay, I can do that. Or, you know, that doesn't work out so good for me, I, I'd probably really struggle with that, maybe we could do this. What she doesn't do is come to me, or what I don't do is come to her with a problem, throw it on the table, and sit back and say, now what are you going to do about it? Now I'm asking for a fight. Rather, I, I want to come, bring problem, and bring part of the solution with that problem.
1: Yes, <laughs> Well, he's talking about when we did daycare, we did this with toddlers. Toddlers would be fighting over a toy, and, uh, and you, you would you know, tell the toddler, I'm upset because you took my toy. Can you please give it back? It's really simple. Well, Jackie and I had um, recently, we, I, I was trying to th- We have several illustrations we've used through the years, but this one's actually pretty recently. We were talking about spending time together because things were getting really ri- busy. And um, I said, you know, I, I, before I approached him, I Rather than say, you know what, you're just not spending enough time with me. You know, I I just knew, knowing this information, it just, it doesn't get anywhere. So I said, you know, hey, let's set aside this time for this. Because what he was relieved to find out was my expectation of the solution wasn't nearly as difficult as he thought. So that's why it's so important to present a solution. Because sometimes when you just present the problem, the person's beginning to formulate this extremely difficult solution that they're going to have to come up with when really you're not really looking for that. You might be looking for something simple, and that is sort of a relief. So that way you just alleviate so much problems when you can come up with that solution. And it may not be the perfect one. You may have to say, well, I can't quite work it that way, but we can do it this way. And then the successful communication has happened. Next time there's a problem, it's not going to be this because, you know, let's face it, we, Jack and I have been married for 25 years, and there are times when we start conversations and we know exactly where this is going. We're like, oh yeah, I know what this sounds like. And so we have to, we have to at first, especially if, if some of these techniques and stuff are very unfamiliar, you know, at first it feels a little rehearsed um, to say, you know, okay, well this is my problem and this is what I want you to do about it, you know. Sometimes it feels like unnatural and, but you know what? it's helpful and Jackie and I as we have implied, uh, applied some of the tools that we've learned we almost cracked up laughing at each other many times when we would try to use our tools cuz we'd be like oh <laughs> that sounds so goofy but when we started to see the benefits of it they became they they began to take on their own um, flavor you know in our own personalities in our relationships. so
0: yeah, for Kathy and I, one of, the, one of the real minor issues that we went through with this was over the toothpaste. Kathy is a crusher.
1: <laughs>
0: she takes that tube and she just crushes it. And then I'm a roller. So I try to undo the crushing and roll. And I I would get frustrated to go pull out the toothpaste and it's been crushed. <laughs> Why are you crushing the toothpaste, baby? No, I like to roll the toothpaste up. Well when we when I bring that problem to her, rather than complaining and just saying, you know, what's wrong with you? What happened in your childhood? That makes you a toothpaste. What are you take it out on the toothpaste for? <laughs> Instead, I come with a solution. Hey baby, when we get toothpaste next time, can we get the pump? The pump, and then she'll say, Sure, we can get the pump. And then she can't crush it. She'll push a button on top, and a toupee comes out. <laughs> it's a solution I can live with. It's a solution we can accomplish. It's a, and we're not fighting over it. Now, I understand that small, little, you know, kind of something to laugh about, but most of the time, the problems that we're having are that easy to solve if we come to it with an attitude that says, I want to make it better. So how do I make it better? My focus is on meeting the needs of my wife. And her focus is meeting the need of her husband. And as we stay focused on that, meditating on the pure and the lovely, I come with a solution uh, uh, to the problem. And we are able to move forward. And really, we solved the problem and it was a piece of cake. It was a piece of cake. Well, As we go on in the next next verse, as we go on to verse 29, it says... uh, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. Did you catch that? Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. One more time. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. But what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearer. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Bible lays out for us, and our next point is to be diplomatic and then in that diplomacy that we're looking for is an attitude of encouragement one of the blessings of being married to kathy is she is very positive in fact one of the quickest ways to get us off track is when she's having a bad day and she's sour i'm used to me having a bad day and me being sour but she's usually happy clappy you know she's always filled with joy and always has been very good at encouraging. Speaking an encouraging word. The, the family I grew up in, the, the encouraging word was, Hey, good job. So when my kids would bring a picture to me, and they'd draw some picture, and they'd go, Dad, look what I did in school today. I'd say, good job. And Kathy'd take it, and it would sound like the orchestras were playing, <laughs> music was coming from the heavens. You know, by the time she was done encouraging our children that they were the greatest artists of all time. They'd finally been discovered. She'd have their pictures <laughs> on, the, on the refrigerator, on the walls, where, put in frames. So anyways, exaggerating
1: so, a dad. <laughs>
0: the point is that the power of encouraging words, the power of letting no corrupt word come out of your mouth. That means when we sit down and talk and we're dealing with an issue... No corrupt word. That's any word that tears someone down. Any word that tears someone down. Only such as is necessary for edification. Edification means to build up. So when we speak to one another, the attitude that we come to speak with is an attitude to build up our spouse. To build them up. Not tear them down. The world is full of people who are going to tear us down every day when we walk out into it or go to work. It shouldn't be either one of us. Our job is to pick each other up, to build each other up, to find a way to focus on the problem and not on the person and present it without a corrupt word, without a word to break a heart, without a word to hurt your soul, without a word to destroy, but with a word to build to build, I learned this in uh, in coaching. I'll be honest with you. The first couple of years of coaching, I thought all you had to do was yell at kids, and it would happen. And a lot of people come into coaching with that concept. You know what I discovered is I could I could, in one word, in one sentence, I could destroy a kid, his his ability to de- his desire his, to work to do everything in one sentence. But in that same sentence even dealing with an issue or a problem with that with that athlete with a with a change of attitude following the biblical directive not bringing a corrupt word but bringing a word of exhortation or encouragement to edify to build up i could inspire i could inspire that young man or young woman to reach far beyond their physical abilities by simply doing what the bible said to do no corrupt word but just edify, just build up.
1: Some of our words that we use don't necessarily have to be corrupt words. It's our tone or our body language. They say that when you speak, 90% of your communication is your tone and body language. So you can say, you know, oh, I, I didn't mean anything by that. But your tone and body language maybe meant plenty by that comment you just made. And so we have to be sensitive to that tone and how we say things because they can really make a big effect. And the other thing is, is that to set boundaries in your communication. I think it's important to say, but I will never use some cer- certain words, you know. Like, I will never say, I want a divorce when I'm mad. Or I will never say, I hate you. Or you disgust me. Or, you know, something really horrible. Like, you know, setting these boundaries that says, I will not say these things to you. Even no matter how mad I get. You know, it's like a covenant you make. You know what? The, we will not go here. And that, that has been something that I really, really appreciate about Jackie because there are some certain things from, you know, baggage we bring from our childhood and different things. And, and, you know, he's been very, very committed to never crossing that line, no matter how, you know, sometimes things get sideways even though you try, you know, you, well, ultimately it's when you decide to walk in your flesh and not in the spirit. That's when they get sideways. So sometimes you choose your flesh, you get sideways, and I I appreciate the fact that that covenant has always been honored in our relationship.
0: The other thing that we, we, Kathy and I talked about in regard to corrupt words is to stay away from absolute accusations. No one is that consistent. And as soon as I hear, you always or you never, I can't listen anymore. You always, I don't always do anything. (laughs) If I always did something, imagine how much better of a person I could be. And I'm I'm not that consistent, and that makes things personal. I don't want to talk in absolutes. You know, Kathy alluded to the fact that sometimes we don't give each other the opportunity to finish the sentence because we think we know where it's going. (laughs) But you're not always right. And sometimes you assume where where a conversation is going and that's not where it's going and, and it happens to me all the time where i i'm pretty sure she's going to be upset and i start getting snippy about it and she'll say why are you getting why are you getting snippy i'm i'm not i'm not mad let me finish what i'm saying and all of a sudden i realize oh that was kind of dumb if i would just wait listen not be agitated not be frustrated just stay focused on the positive and and hear what she has to say, it's going to be okay. So I want, to, I want to stay away from that. Stay away from absolutes. Stay away from, you know, you've always done this, or you've always done that, or you never did this, or you never did that. And I, again, I think it's important to set up boundaries. People's boundaries are different. Okay? Uh, I've heard some people, the way they, they play or talk with each other, that if I tried to do that with Kathy, it'd be all bad all the time. But in their marriage it works. I'm not trying to tell you this is how you have to do it and these are the rules and I can't believe you say this or did that. I'm saying you guys need to communicate those boundaries to one another and say, hey, this is, we need to stay in bounds, Stay where we're okay. Stay where we're able to, to stay focused on, on the things that, that we want to, to focus on and overcome the challenges in our marriage. The next verse, Ephesians 4.31 says, let all bitterness Wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. This is... uh, chapter, three, or chapter 4, verse 31 is, is laying out for us the things that occur uh, after a fight can happen and we start to take the, the fight or the issue or the problem and make it public. Never make it public. Why, why would you want to do that? If you guys, in our marriages, we are an inner circle. And nothing comes into that inner circle but me, Kathy, and the Lord. And if Kathy and I have a problem with one another, I'm not saying don't seek counseling. I think that's a little bit different than Kathy and I have a problem. And I get on the phone, and I call one of my buddies and say, Oh, she wouldn't believe what she, she's on my case again. Yeah, yeah. You know what? My buddies have my back. Do you know that? Do you also know that my buddies don't really care about whether or not my marriage is going Okay. And they don't care about how that affects my my uh, life with my wife, how that affects my children, how that affects a lot of other things. They always got my back, and that's why we go to them. Or that's why we go to our girlfriends, because they'll always say, yeah, you're right, oh, he's dirty, no good. But why are we taking that out there? The Bible says keep it here. Mm-hmm. Stay focused here. Husband and wife, deal with the issues, clinging to one another.
1: Sometimes I think we want a referee. And really the only... Um, really referee that we can go to that is truly unbiased is the Lord. And have you ever been really upset about something and then you start to pray, you say, okay, I know I should pray. And I, I remember this one time, I, we were camping and Jackie and I'd had a disagreement and, I, and there was, he had to go fast somewhere, he had to be somewhere, so we didn't get to finish it and I was frustrated. I'm right, you know? And um, I, so I'm praying about it and this girl knocks on my door and she comes in and she's crying. And her and her husband had the verbatim same argument. <laughs> and I'm sitting there and the Lord is speaking through me to her on how to minister to her. And it's like he's speaking to me at the same time. Because he is the only one who really understands what happened. Because when you make your case to your friend, let's face it, you're the only one making the case. The other person's usually there, right? So you can make your case look any way you want. But not to the Lord. He sees it all. And usually what happens when, you know, you go to the Lord and you pray, you know, the Lord says, humble yourself and, you know, talk about it. it being right isn't always the, the the perfect thing, you know. You can be right and be, and be very wrong, you know. It's about bringing back that unity in your relationship and solving and compromising. And maybe there's some dying of the flesh that has to go on, but the Lord is really the only unbiased referee one time I had a girlfriend um, and I we were very close this was harder for me not to talk to others when we were newlyweds um, because I was very you know close to my girlfriends and my mom and sisters and stuff and um, this one particular girlfriend uh, I I was always um, confiding in her and she came to me and really convicted me she said you know what She said, I can't listen to this anymore because she said, you make up with Jackie and you guys are fine, but I'm still mad at him. (laughs) So she's like, please stop telling me this information. And it's really true. And what happened was, is it it almost drove a wedge in the relationship that we had with them as a couple because she was still irritated with things that she knew and yada, yada, and it was just, it wasn't good. And it made, um, when you... When you let other people in that inner circle, it really begins to totally tear your whole house down. Because now all of a sudden, there's insecurity. What do those people know about me? Um, this is supposed to be between us. And and now it's all out there. And it just sort of, it really begins to tear the whole house down. So I really encourage you, um, you know, to really go to the Lord with your problems. If you need counseling or something like that, that's different you know, to go to a pastor for counseling. But to to spread it all through the family, especially when it's the holidays, you know, and then all the family's together and there's things that everybody knows. and Oh, it can be really ugly.
0: One of the things alongside that, I was always thankful to have um, godly parents and and, uh, mother-in-law that when we would get out of line and go to our parents, our parents would kick us back into play was like, hey, you need to be talking about this with your wife. You need to be talking about this with your husband. Not really understanding that there is a leaving and cleaving, and, and mom and dad can't solve the problems, or brothers and sisters, or, or, or your best friend in the world. Because you need to make that relationship, you need to be committed that that relationship is a relationship with your husband and wife. That's my best friend in the world, and I need to invest in that. That's, that's what we're trying to build. That's what we're trying to accomplish. So we don't want to let things become public. We don't want to put things out there that are ugly. We just want to deal with it, focus on it on our ourselves and, uh, and overcome it. The Bible tells us that in the book of Ecclesiastes that two is better than one because if one falls, there's no one to help him up. And a three-strand cord is not easily broken. He's speaking of... The relationship between two people with the Lord in the midst. He's talking about marriage. A husband and wife and the Lord, the Holy Spirit there with him. So when one falls, the other's there to pick him up. When one stumbles, the other's there to lift him up. And the Holy Spirit is there to guide us and lead us. And that's what we need to stay focused on instead before we go outside. And the last one, Ephesians 4.32 says, Be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ forgave you that means that's the catch-all because you're going to come to a point where it all falls apart love to tell you that you'll never have a disagreement or a fight or you'll never lose self-control again sometimes it happens but what the bible lays out for us here is we gotta we gotta learn to forgive one another when we stumble when we fall when we do it wrong and then help clean up the mess help pick up the pieces I forgive you. I forgive you too. It's that concept of that making up, like we were talking about, two being better than one. It's having your spouse come alongside you and help you up when you fell. Uh, the 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 spirit guiding and leading, having the grace and the and the love to forgive at the end when it's all done. We've we've reconciled. We've solved the problem. I need to be able to forgive and forget and let it go. Let it go. Give it to the Lord. It's not mine to keep. It's not mine to hold on to. Um, The 12 words that you should end every fight with. I'm sorry. I was wrong. Please forgive me. I love you. And then it's done. It's over. If we'll focus on these things, if we'll allow these things to be the The guides then when we face those struggles when we face those conflicts we're going to overcome we're going to enjoy the victory of all the pieces fitting together hey we did it we had a conflict we resolved the conflict and it's time to make up it's all good it's all good and our marriage is growing and things are happening uh, that are, are positive we're not stuck in the negative. And it's very natural then for us to move from that concept, from that understanding of here's how we're going to resolve conflict to recognizing now how we pour into one another's lives romantically, how we pour into one another's lives in an intimate, with an intimate understanding. See, as we move from that, we want to recognize, hey, I, I need to spend time with my spouse, speaking with my spouse, Uh, having conversation i need to meet their need for time for a wife or a woman face to face talking for a husband shoulder to shoulder just spending time together in that same place and regularly make deposits into your spouse's account i want to be connected intimately i want to be connected romantically i want us To that part of our life to be right and on key. We're we're not fighting. We're getting along. We're speaking. We're talking. But I got to every day make a deposit. A deposit into the needs that my wife has. There's no such thing as, well, I did it last week or last month or yesterday. Every day, day by day, we want to make regular deposits. Because then, guys, when you want to make a withdrawal, there's money in the bank. There's a lot of times early on in our, in our marriage when I would come to make a withdrawal, it's time to go to bed, and I'm snuggling up next to Kathy, and she's like, what are you doing? What do you mean, what am I doing? This is what we do. It's time to go to bed. And, and she's like, no, man, I, I, I'm, I, I, I'm just not there. And I would never understand him. You're not there? What do you mean? I just opened the box, climbed in, <laughs> poof, I was ready. <laughs> And she would, she would say things to me like, I, I don't know how to switch from mommy mode to, to, to wife mode. And I feel like I'm, the kids are touching me all day and all this stuff. And the, what she was really saying that I couldn't understand was I had not been making any deposits. I had not been pouring into her life and meeting her need. Her need that I'm to love my wife as Christ loved the church. So that when I went for a withdrawal, there's nothing there. It's empty. Now, it's not her fault it's empty. It's my fault it's empty. And so when I began to to see that, I began to understand that, I realized that my ability to connect with my wife intimately and romantically is directly tied to all the things we've been talking about. Connecting face-to-face, meeting those needs with her, pouring into her life. Because when all that's going, we're clicking, and when we're clicking, everything's clicking, everything's working, we're, we're moving along, but you throw one thing out of balance and then the whole house of cards comes tumbling down. So we want to be willing to make those deposits for one another. You're going to read With this. each
1: other, actually, you know, um, face-to-face time and shoulder-to-shoulder time. Um, the shoulder-to-shoulder time we talked about um, in uh, with the men, you know, it was so funny because Jackie and I, uh, I was trying to, you know... Go, Think about, you know, what does this mean, shoulder-to-shoulder time, you know? And, um, I, you know, watching, uh, it was so funny because we walked into a coffee shop and we were cracking up because all the women were sitting around the tables facing each other and there were some men and they were sitting on two chairs on their laptops and they weren't talking or nothing, they were just sitting there. And I thought, this, this is true stuff, this shoulder-to-shoulder time. It's how men relate to, or like to hang out. Okay, so how can I do this to, you know, make my husband feel like I really care about him? Well, he was watching the UFC fights, and so I sit down. Well, my way of watching anything is, so, who's that? What's he doing? What's all that about? Hey, what's this? What's that? And finally, he turned to me, and he's like, can you just sit there? And then it was like, oh, okay, well, then if I'm going to just sit here, I might as well just do the laundry. So I'll just do, you know, laundry while I'm sitting here because, you know, I mean, I waste my time. It's just, I can't just sit here, you know. And I realized that really all he was looking for, it's so simple, ladies, is for us to just sit there. One of the things that we used to really like. not liked...
0: doing the laundry doesn't count, babe.
1: Oh, no, never doing the laundry because I, no, I. you have to do
0: the laundry sometimes because I'd have no clothes if we didn't.
1: <laughs> But anyways, the point is is that, you know, um, I think that it's, it's it, you invest in that, even though they know it's a little bit of a struggle for you to sit quietly maybe with them and, or, you know, go out and watch them paint a the house or whatever. You know, it's so appreciated, and it, we're investing, like you said.
0: It is one of the funnest things, guys, you'll ever do is watch your wife sit down and try to be quiet with you and watch a game. It seriously looks like she's going to explode in any second. <laughs> I get a kick out of it every time. <laughs> she sit down, and I, all her foot will get to tapping, and her knee popping, and and. But the cool thing is, it's, it the more easier. she's done it, the more she's done it. We just have a ball with it. We just have a ball with it, and understanding, you know. And then I have a way to relate, babe. I could use some shoulder to shoulder time. Let's just sit down and watch a movie. You know, let's just hang out without some crazy expectation or something. Let's just. Sit down and, and chill out for a while. And so it's been a real blessing. Well, as we have this idea of, of putting in or pouring into one another and having, uh, meeting one another's needs so that we're able to, to, to connect, and have the connection that we'd like to have. The other challenge is, well, having sex after you have a family. It's a little bit of a challenge. And there's a story in the book about that. Can you believe that? They sell these books in in church. (laughs) Anyways, I'm going to read it to you. Hold on to your seats. Well, because sex is so intense, every couple experiences time of awkwardness. Not you guys. In addition to times of satisfying intimacy. All these experiences added together create a legacy of sexual love in your relationship. Your ability to meet one another's needs along with your ability to laugh together at times of awkwardness will continually add value to your love. One couple with a fourth grade son was having difficulty finding time to enjoy one another sexually. So their careers were in full swing and their son was a very energetic young man and they were increasingly becoming involved in their church. Out of desperation, one Sunday they came up with what they thought was a great idea. They told their son, Johnny, Johnny, we got a a new game for you to play. You know, we live in this condominium complex, and from the balcony, you can see most of the neighborhood. What would you think about playing detective by standing on the balcony and calling out what people are doing? Well, being a curious boy, Johnny enthusiastically agreed. Mom and Dad thought that they would be able to steal away to the bedroom and enjoy each other, while Johnny was announcing the activity of the neighborhood. As they settled into bed, they began to hear their son. Two boys riding by on bicycles. Mr. Kennedy is taking out the trash. I wonder if he has any top secrets in the bag he's throwing away. I see a kid on a skateboard. Four girls are skipping rope. At this point, the parents thought everything was going very smoothly. And then Johnny announced, the Andersons are having sex. (laughs) They both bolted up to a sitting position and shouted, how do you know they're having sex? To which Johnny replied, their kids are out on the balcony too. (laughs) Hey, I'm I'm just going to warn you guys with little ones. The days are coming. You think, oh yeah, it's so nice now because the little ones have no idea what you're doing. When you're in high school and they're not four and five years old anymore, and you're looking at each other thinking, hey, just you and me, babe. We get rid of this kid. And he starts looking at you guys.
1: This is a story that he's sharing, a true story from our pastor and his wife.
0: Pastor Gerald and Cindy sitting there looking at each other. And Israel was sitting in between them. And he says to them, so dad, the only thing I see between you and mom is me. Pastor Gerald says it's a weekend. He's always gone on the weekends. But this particular day, he had no plans. So he said, well, Dad, I 20 bucks and a gas card. I could go see a movie or something. Get out of your hair. So Dad reached for his wallet. <laughs> pulled out 20 bucks and a gas card, handed it to Israel, upon which Israel said, so, Dad, you have paid for sex before, huh? <laughs> Yeah, I'm just telling you, (coughs) the days, they are coming.
1: But then I am told by some of you empty nesters that that is a very wonderful season, so we're looking forward to that. Our walls in our house are so thin right now that if somebody's in the kitchen having conversation, I can be in my bedroom and hear everything they say, so not so good (laughs) whatever no anyway we can take that further but we won't
0: so as we take a look then we want to take a look at first corinthians chapter seven as we take a look at the the concepts especially in regard to to physical intimacy in marriage in first corinthians chapter three or i'm sorry 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 3 says, So let the husband render to his wife the affection due her. Likewise, also the wife to her husband. Let the husband render the affection due his wife. Again, it goes right along with what we've been talking about. And that is that I need to be making regular deposits with my wife. I need to be making sure that I am meeting her deepest need, that I'm loving her as Christ loved the church. That I'm doing that day in and day out. I need to render to her the affection due her. Likewise also to the husband. That the wives have a responsibility toward their husband in the same way. In the same way. Being that respectful wife. Meeting those needs uh, within her husband. He goes on in verse 4. The wife does not have authority over her own body. But the husband does. That's my favorite verse in the Bible by the way. <laughs> Likewise, also, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another except with consent for a time, and that you may give yourself to fasting and prayer, and come together again so that Satan does not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. The Scripture lays out for us that there is definitely a plan within marriage for physical intimacy, and that that's something that should not be neglected in our marriages, and so we want to make sure that that becomes an area that we are giving the the affection due both the husband and the wife.
1: I have a funny story I'm going to share with you guys. Oh, yeah, it's a good one. It's going to embarrass him. Um, anyways, no, when we were um, when we were married, I don't know about ten or twelve years, um, we had a couple who we really respected. They were our youth uh, group leaders when we were younger. And so, because Jackie and I have known each other since I was 15 and he was 17. And um, they had gotten married and we just, Mary and Ken, we just looked up to them. They had a wonderful marriage. And one day I was talking with Mary and I mean, I was talking, no, I've got, got, yeah, I was talking to Jackie. I'm sorry. I'm going to mess up my own story. I was talking to Jackie and I said, you know, what do you think the secret is to Ken and Mary's awesome marriage? He goes, oh, I know. He goes, Ken told me. I go, really? Well, what is it? He goes, they have sex every day. No. I go, really? He goes, yeah. That's their secret. They have sex every day. They never miss. And I said, <laughs> wow. Okay, you know, all right. So, you know, so months go by, and I'm desperately trying to accomplish Those this. Those were the
0: best Truth. months of my life.
1: <laughs> so... So truth be told, I mean, seriously, we were getting along great. I mean, things were wonderful. And I was like, wow, you know, I go to Mary one day. We're sitting there having coffee. Go, You know, Mary, I got to tell you, I took your advice, and um, you were right. It works. And she goes, what are you talking about? I said, well, Ken kind of shared your secret with us, and Jackie and I have been applying it to our marriage. And, man, we're doing great. She goes, what secret? I go, you know, that you guys have sex every day? She goes, Oh honey <laughs> She goes, You've been duped. <laughs> but I had to admit, things were really good. So ladies the point I'm making is is you know gives a whole
0: new meaning to the good old days.
1: Yeah. <laughs> the 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 thing about it is 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 that you know, we wanna nev- we don't wanna withhold These things from our husbands, too. And sometimes it's hard because we may not really be there. Like he had alluded one time about the, you know, I'm still in mommy mode. I've had kids climbing on me all day. I don't want to be touched, you know. Um, Or or maybe you're struggling with, you know, some, maybe you've got some things that are just personally going on with you, you know. And you're just not feeling it. And I encourage you, you know, to meditate on things that are good and lovely and a peer report and make that um, a priority as a gift to your husband. I mean, it's not like it's just for them anyways. I mean, we, we enjoy that intimacy too. But the point is, is that it's important to not withhold it because it can really be a really sad tale.
0: One of the uh, the things that the book talks about is... How to impress a woman and how to impress a man, especially in relationship to uh, sexual intimacy. How to impress a woman. Ready, fellas? Be ready. Compliment her. Cuddle her. Kiss her. Caress her. Love her. Stroke her. Tease her. Comfort her. Protect her. Hug her. Hold her. Spend money on her. Dine her, buy things for her, listen to her, care for her, stand by her, support her, go to the ends of the earth for her. Ladies, you ready? How to impress a man. Show up naked. So in case you're wondering, to me it seems like, ladies, that's a lot easier job for you guys. <laughs> but I know that's not true. So keep in mind, as we, as we look at, especially in this area of our lives, this is an area, guys, where Satan really wants to get a foothold. And if we let him get a foothold in this area of our life, all kinds of problems occur. All kinds of things happen based on or built around the weaknesses in men and the weaknesses in women. When a woman is not finding that emotional connection with her husband, she'll go find that emotional connection somewhere else. And she can have that emotional connection with another man. And it never becomes physical. But in reality, that's just as much an affair as anything else because that becomes a a real soulmate for her. Just like a man will leave and, and look because he's more visually stimulated. He may look at pornography. It doesn't mean... And make any difference it's going to disrupt and destroy your relationship, because what God intended to be perfect within the bounds of marriage, Satan distorts and destroys with everything outside of that everything outside of that will distort destroy right? just just wipe it out, and so often we think, you know ladies, sometimes we think, hey, you know what he should he just needs to learn to to control that." That nature within him. And, and guys think, well, you know what? She just needs to learn to be, you know, more, more giving or or more open in that area of our relationship. And the reality is, God made you different for a reason. So that the man's motor would be running and he would be motivated to make sure he meets that need within his wife. And that 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 his wife and him together. In holy matrimony before God can experience a more beautiful sexual relationship than any other relationship under the stars. There is no other that can compare to what you can experience together as husband and wife. Even as the years progress. You got comedians make jokes about it. Oh, it's like vanilla ice cream every day. I like vanilla ice cream. I like vanilla ice cream with chocolate syrup and with marshmallows all over it. And I like vanilla ice cream with bananas. And I like vanilla ice cream a lot of different ways. And I know that if I follow the truth of God's word and I make this a priority and I say, listen, God's word says that I first am to render the affection to my wife. It doesn't say make sure I get mine. It says make sure I render the affection to my wife. That I meet her need. That I make a deposit into into the love bank so that there's some there for for there to be a withdrawal on. And the same way for Kathy with me. If we're focusing on those areas, what are we going to fight about? If I'm meeting that need for Kathy and she's meeting that need for me, where's the struggle come from? Where do wars come from among you? James lays out for us. It comes when the lust within us and our selfishness Begins to, to run away with itself and we become self-focused rather than others-focused. And now we start banging heads. We start thinking about me. We get me-itis instead of realizing, hey, I, I want to be able to render to my wife those things that are due her. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18 says, Flee sexual immorality and every sin that a man does is outside his body. But he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Sins against his own body. Hey, that's the quickest way to destroy your marriage. Now, does it doesn't mean that your marriage is destroyed when, when those things occur within marriage. But it's a quick way to do it. There ain't no reason to try or experiment or play. We want to flee sexual immorality, all those things that are outside, because when we when we allow that to be a part of our life, when we allow pornography to be a part of our life when we allow any of those things outside the confines of god's design for marriage to become a part of our life we're going to be perverting and distorting that which god's perfect plan is for each one of us and that sin is against our own body destroys our own marriage the two shall become one but now it's the the three or the something else or this other thing or it's it's designed and set up for something for Kathy and I to experience together, and that it should be that way. And it should never be a weapon or a tool to to motivate or a tool to um, try to control or whatever our uh, husbands or wives. That should be sacred. It should be something that we that we really. Uh, Make time for, allow time for, and realize that that's a part of our marriages that we want to be um, emphasizing, that we don't forget about it, But we, we emphasize it. Now, along with that, we also want to, in regard to keeping ourselves sexually pure and not wandering into sexual immorality, we need to set up guidelines for each other. The two are walking together because if one falls, it's easier to (coughs) to pick them up. So that means we make guidelines about what we're okay with when you're with the opposite sex. We're okay with you giving somebody a ride home or not giving somebody else a ride home. Or we're okay with certain sites on the Internet. We're not okay with other sites on the Internet. That we set those boundaries. And we take care of that for one another. Because that's why we're here together so that we can keep our marriage pure, safe, <coughs> moving, in the, moving in the right direction. We want to make that an effort, stay focused on it. And realize, when we set those boundaries and we communicate about that, that draws Kathy and I into a, a, a closer, more open relationship, which also makes the time that we have intimately together closer, and more open. So we... We set those things up. You know, you guys know, most of you guys know our testimony. So our marriage was pretty upside down from the the gate, coming out the gate. So real early in our marriage, we set up guidelines about what's okay and what's not okay. And we talked about it. And we discussed it and we understood where each other comes from. So that when I find myself in a situation, I know it's okay or it's not okay. I was a youth pastor at, at Joshua Springs and... And a girl would come up and start to rub my shoulders, one of the girls in the youth group. And I didn't have to embarrass her or, or say anything. i just reach up, touch her hand, and say, hey, that's just for my wife. That's just between me and her. Thanks, So I'm not mad. She's not upset. She's not embarrassed. Everything's good. And I know my boundaries. I know where I go and where I don't. I know my weakness. I know the areas I struggle in. And... And I'd be stupid if I struggle with alcohol to hang out in a bar all the time. Or if I struggle with pornography to have a computer hooked up to the internet in my house in a room that not everybody else is in. That's just dumb. So we set the boundaries. We keep those boundaries pure and that keeps that relationship right. It keeps things other things from entering into that relationship and fouling it all up. We want that, that part of our life to be holy and pure the way God intended it to be, not distorted or destroyed, which is what the enemy wants to do, and what the world says. Right now, the world will have you changing husbands like shirts, in and out of relationships, kids in high school, you know, struggling with venereal diseases and promiscuity. That's not God's plan. That's a distortion that the world has to bring. And, and if we understand that God has a design, that God has a plan for marriage in a direction that He would have us go, and we apply that direction, then I think we, we're, we're in a much more solid place. In the book of Malachi, one of the, one of the scriptures I like to, to consider, you know, kind of ponder, chew on, is in... Uh, Malachi chapter 2, and the Lord is is laying out for the children of Israel the struggles that he has with them and the problems that he has with them. He says in verse 13, and this is the second thing that you do. You cover the altar of the Lord with tears, with weeping and with crying. So he does not regard your offering anymore nor receive it with goodwill from your hands. Well, you say, for what reason? Because the Lord has been witness between you and the wife of your youth. Did you hear that? God says, this is my problem with you, Israel. You cover my altar with tears. Tears all over my altar, weeping and crying, so that I don't even regard your offering anymore. The sin offering, the offerings that they would bring to the temple. And God says, my problem is between you and your wife. The relationship between the two of you. God's not okay when we don't make that a priority in our life. He goes on to say then, between you and the wife of your your youth, with whom you have dealt treacherously. But she's your companion and your wife by covenant. That means you made a promise. God says, you made a promise to me. You promised to to keep her and care for her and to love her. And she made a promise to do the same for you. And you're covering my altar with tears because you're not making that a priority in your relationship. You're not saying this is a priority or you're trying to do it your own way or I'll find my own way instead of just following what God's word says. Here's what God's word says. Just practice the truth of what God's word says. Verse 15, he says, But did he not make them one, having a remnant of the Spirit? Didn't God bring them together in unity? And, and why one? Why did God bring them together? Listen. Because he seeks godly offspring. Children raised in the truth of the Word. Therefore, take heed to your spirit, and let none deal treacherously with the wife of his youth. For the Lord God of Israel says... He hates divorce, for it covers one's garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. Therefore, take heed to your spirit that you do not deal treacherously. God's, God's word. It's how God sees it. It's how God views marriage. Hey, we all come from different places. we all been other things. Maybe we've been married before and, and we're on round two, or maybe we're on round three. It doesn't change anything. The reality, the truth of God's word is the same. God says, you made a promise to me, make it work. You made a promise to me, do the things that need to be done. You made a promise to me, don't be selfish, but be focused on others. You made a promise to meet the needs of your spouse. And today we've had an opportunity to talk about some of those things. So how do you do it? How do you meet those needs? guys... When we look at God's Word, whenever God calls us to something like that, He also empowers us. Whenever God calls us, He also empowers us. He gives us the Holy Spirit. The love of God is poured out in your heart by the Holy Spirit. I'm struggling and I can't make it work. I'm struggling and I'm having a hard time applying all these things. You've got to draw near to the Lord. A three-strand cord is not easily broken. I've got to press into my relationship with Him. God, I need you to change my character. I can't change who I was. I couldn't change who I was before the Lord got a hold of my heart. I could not even, Kathy, give me a list of do's and don'ts. I couldn't walk for the two days in that list of do's and don'ts without breaking something. But it is in Christ we are a new creation, right? We say, well, man, I've never done marriage that way. I've never focused on those things in my marriage. I never made that a priority In my marriage. Good. Great opportunity to start something new. Because in Christ. You're a new creation. Your marriage is a new creation. Every day his mercies are new. That he wants to pour out in your life. He will equip you. To be and to do. And to follow the directions. God gives us in his word. And if we'll apply the directions. God gives us in his word. If we'll focus on the reality. That in the strength of His Holy Spirit, we can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Right? We can do all things. That even means we can do the waffle and spaghetti thing. That even means that I can make making the the needs of my spouse, meeting the needs of my spouse a priority in my life. I can do it. In as much as I can draw near to the Lord. Once A while back, Kathy said to me, you know, Jackie, I'm so glad that you're not that person that you were once before. And I told her, you know, babe, I'm still that person. I'm not perfect. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. It it, it really has nothing to do with me. You know what makes me a different person? Christ in me, the hope of glory. That's what makes me a different person. What makes it so that we can work our marriage? Christ in me, the hope of glory. What makes it so that we can accomplish these things and apply these things and make them work in our, in our relationship? Christ in us, the hope of glory. That we say, you know what? I have Jesus Christ in me who rose from the dead, who walked on the water, and I can't make these applications? And I can't say, you know what? I need to stop being selfish and, and, and focus my goals the way God tells me to do it. Because when we apply God's word, it always works. We apply God's word, it always works. We just got to do it. We just got to take it. Read it. Ingest it. And then, like the scripture says, be not hearers only, but doers also. Take that word and apply it. Amen?